When I was a kid, I had a good friend, his name was Freddie, and we would play outside every day in the summer, and we would pretend a lot. This is when we were like five, six, seven years old, and our bicycles would become motorcycles, the garage would become our fancy condo apartment, you know, and everything around us would, would take on a different meaning because we're just pretending. And what we were pretending was that we had the life that we could design, that we could put together everything just the way we wanted it to. We had invisible girlfriends. We uh, would ride down to the 7-Eleven, and we would get whatever we wanted there, and we'd collect Coke bottles. Only my generation will probably remember that uh, and getting money for that to, to buy more stuff. And, you know, it's just that time where you could, everything was possible. You could put it together. But as you transition, and as you grow, and as you go through high school, and as you go through college, and even in adulthood, you begin to think, ah, getting this life just right isn't as easy as it was to pretend or to plan for, to think about when we were kids. Getting it just right. There's not too much, and there's not too little. We were out on the lake the other night, uh, my son-in-law Stephen and I, and we're going by and just looking at these houses. You know, there's just these beautiful homes on the lake. And, you know, I would just see this little one. And I think, Lord, I'd take that one. You know, I'll take whatever. That would be just just right. I know my heart, whatever I have, I'm going to want a little bit more. But when it comes to the demands of your job and your work, and you think, oh, it's just it would this way, or financially, if you thought, oh, if I just had this, this much, that would be just right, just right, not too little, not too much. Emotionally, we think about that. In relationships, you think about that. In romance, you think that way. Just the right amount of caution, just the right amount of adventure, just the right amount of downtime, the right amount of busyness, all of this. You can call that the sweet spot, just living in God's sweet spot. Now, those of you who enjoy sports, you know what I'm talking about. For instance, those of you who like to play tennis, I'm pretty good, um, you know what it's like when you hit the ball and it just comes off. There's no vibration. You, it just pops right off and uh, you can tell it. You can feel that. The same, same way if you play uh, baseball or softball. You know what it's like. And those of you who've been watching the College World Series or maybe you're watching you know, uh, MLB sports, and you can tell when the ball comes off whether it's um, a metal bat or, or a wooden bat and it hits that sweet spot. You just know it instantly, don't you? You know it's going, it's out, it's gone, it's gone. And you hear that, and you hear that pop or tink, which isn't really as nice. And for those of you who are, are golfers, you know what it's like. This is so rare for me uh, to hear this sound. But when, when you, you're, you, you line up and you hit and, it, and it's just, and you hear that, that come right off with just a sweet spot, sweet spot. Now, in the same way that that happens in sports, and you probably, whether you play paddle ball or ping pong or any other sport like that, you know what I'm talking about. You know that feeling, that sound, that you're in the sweet spot, that there's going to be maximum velocity, there's this precision, and you just feel it. 
You just feel it right away. Your sweet spot in your career is when you have the opportunity. It doesn't always happen for everybody. It doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen where maybe, but you get to do what you really love doing and what you're good at doing. And you know, I do this well. I really enjoy doing it. And somebody wants to pay me to do it. That's a sweet spot. That's a sweet spot right there. Now, we're going to look at, over the next couple of weeks, a prayer in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Proverbs, and it's written by a guy that you may not be familiar with, but that's really what this prayer and what this proverb is about, is how do we live a life uh, in the sweet spot, gaining from this, this ancient wisdom to discover contentment in our, in our life. So that brings us to this prayer of Agur. Agur is the author of Proverbs 30, and we're going to cover uh, these chapters over the next few weeks. The prayer is actually verses 7 to 9, which we'll read in just a moment. But first let me say that there's probably a good chance that even if you're a regular Bible reader, uh, you've never paid much attention to Agur, or you'd think, actually, never even heard of the guy. I don't know who, I don't even know who he is. Are you sure he's in the Bible? Well, don't be embarrassed because you're not alone. He really wasn't on my radar, actually, until I just started reading through Proverbs. I was reading some New Testament, and I thought I wanted to read some Old Testament and kind of see where God would connect uh, some ideas and some things in me. And I came across a little book by Jay Pileiter, uh that, that really brought that into focus. And so I went back to Proverbs 30, and I thought, wait a minute, you know, there's, a, there's a lot there. Now, Proverbs 30, uh, verse 7 to 9, as was mentioned in the announcement video just a moment, that is the only prayer uh, in, the, in the entire book of Proverbs. In all the Proverbs, this is the only time you'll see a prayer. So here's that short prayer. It's a prayer for living life that's just right, just right. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. That prayer is what drew me to Agur. So today we're just going to begin by taking, you know, a, a good look at this and trying to, to uncover a few takeaways that you can apply to your life right now, today, beginning um, this afternoon. So before we jump into this text, I would like to pray with you. So I've written out a prayer because I know sometimes you think, well, I really don't know what to say. Uh, that's okay. We're just going to put a suggested prayer up here because this is just it's the reflection of my heart and maybe it will be yours too. So uh, if you would, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to apply all of your word to our lives. The verses we know by heart and the ones that you surprise us with. Please open our ears to hear and our minds to think, and our hearts to love. Help us to cherish 
the journey and to live in your sweet spot. I ask that you would bless this time this morning while we're together. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may be familiar with Scripture, and you know that Proverbs has 31 chapters. Um, Bible researchers agree that uh, Solomon personally wrote or at least compiled chapters 1 through 29. That's most of it. He put all of that together. Chapter 31 was written by uh, King Lemuel. And you may recognize that chapter because it has this familiar passage in it that's a description of what a noble wife is. You know, you may have written, rewritten that on a card at Mother's Day or uh, to your wife on her birthday or sometimes like that, a wife of noble character. So those are pretty familiar. Proverbs 30 is the one we're looking at, and it's written by Agur. Most people have never even heard of him. Uh, this chapter, this prayer, Agur himself, kind of come to us unexpectedly. I mean, you're reading through Proverbs, and they all have this, uh, this familiar rhythm and flow to them, and you know who the author is. And then abruptly you get to this particular proverb, and you think, wait, who, who is this? Who's this guy? That's our first takeaway. That's our first takeaway this morning, is to explore God's Word because there are all kinds of characters and stories and moments and rabbit trails that, that will surprise you. Uh, I like to read Scripture in the mornings, uh, and uh, I do that either in the kitchen or we have a little covered, you know, screened-in back porch. I'll go back there sometimes with my coffee and and just look at that, or when I'm thinking about a message, you know, series or something that's coming up, and every now and then I'll read a word, maybe just one word, uh, a noun or a verb that gets my attention in the Scripture. I think, well, I wonder what the etymology of that word is, and I'll trace that back, or there's a passage that'll be curious, and, and oh, I'll chase that down, and 90% of that never ends up, uh, you know, being verbalized up here, but it's just in, just in my heart. Maybe you do that uh, with Scripture. Uh, and, and this is one of those passages that I don't want you to miss anything uh, that, that God might have for you in here. So what do we know about Agor? Not, not very much. The opening words of the chapter tell us he was the son of uh, Jacob. Uh, researchers say he may have been possibly from northern Arabia. And... That's pretty much it. That's all, we, that's all we know. That's all the history that we have. But you know what? That's okay. That's okay. His words made it into God's book. We don't know anything about him. He's fairly obscure, but he's got his own entire chapter in the Bible. So that's pretty cool. It's a great reminder to, to me that you don't have to be famous to make a difference. Personally, I can't always relate to everybody that I read in Scripture. Can you? I mean, I, I don't really relate to Moses. The guy was, you know, had this life of an adventurer. Uh, he, he's, he's an Egyptian prince. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. Or Abraham or really Paul, 
uh, or some of these other spiritual giants uh, of the Bible. But Agar, yeah, I can relate to him because he just seems like a regular guy. You got to love that. Actually, there are quite a few people who show up in Scripture and they just have this one single scene or this, this brief mention uh, in the Bible, but they still leave this memorable impact. When my son was in high school and his friend, who is now his wife for, for a lot of years now, um, they were in high school together, Bearden High School, and they were in a play together. Now, she had one of the lead roles, and she was singing, and just everybody, everybody knew who she was, and everybody's cameras came out. My son's role was to push a cart in the background from, like, one side of the stage to the other, behind her while she's singing. But as he does it, he turns and he smiles at the audience. I mean, you've never seen a cart pushed so well. You know, and maybe some of you feel like me, and I think, yeah, that's, I'm that guy. I'm not the one up front singing. And we thought it's been so funny that years and years later that we would have that and that they were actually up there together. But that's the way maybe a lot of our lives are. You think, if I were in Scripture, it'd just be this brief mention. You know, it would just be, hey, here I go. Here's some of the people that I thought about. Simeon. Do you remember him? The old prophet who barely shows up in Luke chapter 2. And he meets Mary and Joseph at the temple. He actually holds the baby Jesus. He holds this infant in his arms, and he predicts this is the one. He will be a light unto the world. And then Simeon disappears. That was it. That was his moment. Do you know the name Jochebed? You could make the case that her actions really launched biblical history as we know it. She was the mother of Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. This is the woman who, who created this reed basket, put her three-month-old son floating down the Nile so that he would escape the Egyptian death squad that was trying to kill all these boys. Her name only appears twice in the entire Bible. But what if Jochebed had not done that? Some of you moms, some of you dads, you don't know what you're doing in your children's lives. And I suggest that all of you take your children today and put them in the Tennessee River and just see what happens. Put them on a float. No, I don't think you should do that. But I I don't want you to to discount your role either. I want you to know that what you do can be really important. There's one other character I'll just use as an example, and that is the thief on the cross. If there's ever a guy that was obscure in Scripture, it's got to be this guy. We don't even know his name. It's the thief on the cross. That's, he, he, he's known for eternity by what he was and kind of what he did. But he recognized Jesus. He confessed his own brokenness. 
And Jesus promised him audibly in front of everybody. Here's what he said in Luke 23, 43. Truly, I tell you, to, to tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, one of my favorite uh, preachers, speakers is Alistair Begg. And I wanted you to hear just a clip of what he says about this guy. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him. How did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? Because the man on the middle cross said, I could come. Because I could come. I can identify with the thief on the cross. I identify with Jacobet. I identify with Simeon. And I identify with Agar. And maybe you do too. These are people in scripture who made a difference. And they didn't draw a lot of attention to themselves. We don't know much about them. But they found their purpose. They found their purpose. So can I. So can you. You don't have to be famous. Now, the second takeaway is this. You know, for us to seek God's purpose, we may not ever be famous. No one may ever know a lot about us either, but we can all make a difference. We can all, you know, God's equipped us and called us. So after some brief introductions, Agar, he begins his chapter with, with something I love and I respect so much, and it's becoming more rare in our culture, in our society and world. He admits his own limitations, okay? He says this in verse 2 and 3, I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am a brute, not a man. I do not have human wisdom. I have not learned wisdom. 
uh, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Hagar's humility, that's just so refreshing. He's not pretending, I've got it all together, I kind of know this, I've got it, you know, and like, like most of us do. He admits, man, I'm rough, I'm coarse, you know. He's just so vulnerable and just real honest about, hey, this is who I am. I'm not a polished Bible guy, I'm just, this is who I am, but I'm ready. I'm ready, and I'm, and I'm, I'm available to you. So takeaway three is this, just to appreciate God's undefinability. Never put God in a box. And I was trying not to use that cliche, but I think it works. You know, Never put him in a place where you think, okay, God, I got you surrounded, written papers about you, I understand it. I think we kind of define you. He, he's so far beyond that. He's so way past our imaginations. Moving along in verse 4, Agar asks these questions that are really worth asking. I think we don't ask questions a lot or don't think through things or process stuff because we're always looking down at our phones. And this is a huge distraction, you know, in our culture. We've always got a lit screen in front of us. And I wonder if we've kind of missed out on just that time of being able to explore or for one thought to be able to lead to the next thought. I mean, when's the last time you had a big idea or an epiphany or something creative or an appreciation or noticed something around you? You know, instead of bumping into light poles or trees or whatever, uh, it just takes some time and just ask good questions. Here are the questions, Agar. He asked this, who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is the name of his son? Then Agar answers his own questions, and he says, Surely you know. Surely you know. Creation declares that there is a creator. It's self-evident. It's one of those obvious things. So the next four questions describe the creator. And then he asked this, this question, what's his name? Now keep in mind that Agar's writings appear in the middle, right in the middle uh, of the Old Testament. And God, by, by now, he has been called several names. Yahweh. El Shaddai, Adonai, I could go on and on. Uh, you know, there's just so many names and ways that people address him. But, and, and Agar comes back with this question, so what is his name? And then he asks something, Check the, he says, what is the name of his son? Now that probably would have sent shockwaves going through Solomon's temple. What is God's name? And people, you know, it's just like we had VBS last week and, you know, you guys just got back from Fuge and sometimes people ask questions and hands go up and, you know, you, you want to answer when there's these big questions like that and everybody knew that. And then Edgar asked, what's his son's name? Son? What? God's what? His son? Edgar, you get this? He's proclaiming to the world, oh, by the way, God has a son. 
a son. Keep in mind that that Agur is is writing close to a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Prophecy about the Messiah was a major topic of discussion among God's people. Anticipating the Savior was really the focus of Hebrew people. Whenever they get together and they're walking to the market or they're hanging out or they're in somebody's home, it didn't take very long before the conversation would turn around about Messiah. And I thought, you know, well, Isaiah said this, and well, you know, this writer said that, that, you know, everybody, that's what they were always talking about. And they still are. But before Agur, there is barely even a hint in any of the ancient writings that the Messiah would be the son of God? Whoa, we didn't see that coming. Here's the fourth takeaway from Proverbs 30. Consider God's timeline. God doesn't let everything happen at once. He doesn't hold you bound to the past events of your life. And he's not going to let you jump ahead, you know, and just rush into a future. He has a timeline. He has a rhythm in a life. And today, we see the benefit of, of, of understanding how the Old Testament points to Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they're co-equal, they're God. Sometimes I think we think of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like God the Father is a five-star general, You know, God the Son's a two-star general. God the Holy Spirit, he's a one-star general. It's not like that. We, We do that. And we are the generation that live between the first and the second coming of Christ. We are those people. I think that's... That's just really amazing. I just feel honored. Don't you feel blessed to be in in this season as God's working through history? We've met Agur. He he establishes his own modesty. He stuns everybody with this insight about God and God's son. And then he takes a breath. And before he he prays this prayer, uh, he... He pauses to affirm scripture. Listen to this in verse 5 and 6. He says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Now, when I read this, I, I was sitting at the table, and I thought, well, the paradox is, you know, that Agar warns us, don't add to God's words as he's writing, adding to God's words. And I think, wait, you're doing it, you know, that you are doing that. This chapter by Agar ended up in the Bible. I think, how is, how is that possible? You know, this is such a perfect reminder that the Bible it was written by people. It was written by these folks who were inspired by God. And you see their human personalities and their styles. And after you've been reading a while, you can read a book by John 
And you'll know almost immediately, Peter didn't write that, Paul didn't write that. It just has this, this flow, and just like we do. Just when we talk to each other, we write something, you think, I think I know who wrote that because of the style of it. But it was inspired by God. The writers are moved in that moment by the Holy Spirit. And when they were writing this, so when Agar, when he, he wrote these words, he was that, at that moment, he's speaking from God. Now, if when he finished and he thought, you know, I'm going to take a break, and he turned to, to Miss Agar and he said, hey, are there any Dr. Peppers left in the refrigerator? I could really use a break. She didn't say, I need to write that down. That's scripture. No, it wasn't like everything he said every moment or anybody else. It was in these specific moments where God was putting together this scripture for us. That concept is explained pretty well in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. It says this, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is rock solid. This is so reliable, so faithful. You can depend on this. And when you're in doubt and you're thinking, I'm really not sure if that's right or wrong, or I'm sure I'm not, I don't know about the direction or how I should think about this thing, listen, go to the Word. It is so reliable. And your feelings or your thoughts or what culture may tell you or, you know, any dissenting voices, you think, ah, I'm really confused now. Listen, just go back here. Go back here. God's word, uh, it, it can, it does, and it should. It stands on its own. And Agur's chapter made the cut. You know, it, it's, it's there. It's there. We can trust it. Like he says, like Peter says, too, every word of God is flawless. It's, it's there. Here's your last takeaway. Takeaway number five. Um, we affirm God's authority. We trust that the, the Bible is foundational for us as believers. Folks, this is foundational, and it is being moved uh, during this generation in, in kind of a rapid way more and more into the background. And our Christian culture is driven by personalities, by style and by change, and we elevate speakers and musicians to, you know, like rock star status, and what they say, their comments and their ideas, we kind of have a tendency to sort of chase after that or to quote that. And I guess, and most of the time, there's really nothing wrong with that, but it does not have the same authority, the, the same uh, foundation or power that Scripture does. This is, this is your man. This is where you go back. This is, this is the place. This is the place. It's foundational. So before we pray or do anything, you know, we need to align ourselves with God's word. You know, is the spirit leading me in this direction? Is God, is God speaking to my heart this way? Is, is there a place that Scripture is affirming that or contradicting that. If Scripture contradicts what you're thinking, I want to tell you, guys, Scripture is going to have it right. 
and in a year or five years or six years, you know, you think, ah, I changed my mind about that. You know, early Christians thought the world was flat. You know, all the Christian scientists, all the, you know, they had all these ideas about everything. They were wrong about that. You know, we've been wrong about so many things. And I know there's a lot of the ideas that are on the table and a lot of the movements in history. You think, wow, that really disturbs me. That really bothers me. And we're at this place or that place, you know. And and, and I hear these things and I think, oh, Lord, how do I process that? I'm I'm just going to encourage you to go back, use scripture as a reference point. Go back there and think, well, you know, this idea I had really doesn't line up with scripture, so I'm just going to set that over here until God continues to lead me. And then after affirming God's word, which uh, I love that Edgar just takes a moment, like, first, let, let me make sure you guys know that I'm in on this, and I, I, this is where my heart is, and this is where I, under, I understand uh, that, that God's going to work is going to be in and through his word, in his spirit. So in the next three verses are the actual prayer uh, of Agar. And that's, that prayer is all about finding this sweet spot in your life. And God knows where that is because he designed you, he built you, you know, he created you. You're wired a certain way. Some of the things that just give joy to your heart some of the things that make you laugh or make you cry are not the same for me. We're all so specific. And so individual. God says, look, you know, I, just, I didn't make you that way. I didn't, you know, some of you speak quickly. Some of you are quieter. Some, I mean, we're just such a blend, such a mosaic of people. And God says, listen, I know you, and I know your sweet spot. And if you follow me, and if you allow me to live in and through you, I'm going to put you there. I'm going to put you right at that place where you're going to think, ah, oh, oh, that's just so good. I, just, I love that so much. You know, some of you love winter. Some of you love spring. Some of you are summertime people. I'm a summertime person. Some of you can't wait for fall to come. You know, the heat will break. The colors will change. Football will start, we hope. And, you know, all, all these good things that will come. You think, man, fall, that's the time I love. And what God is saying is, you follow me. I'm going to take you to that season, that place in your life. And you're just going to love it. Because it's going to be just for you. So then Agar prays this prayer. And at the end of the prayer, he just tosses out some lessons. You know, just a few lessons. He says, I I needed to explain. Here's some habits we shouldn't be doing. That's going to take you out of the sweet spot. It's going to move you in a different place. It's eventually going to crash and burn, and you're, you're going to be miserable and think, ah, why did I do that? Why did I go in that way? Here's some of the things, you know, he says, like slandering co-workers, uh, dishonoring parents, judging others while we justify our own shortcomings, looking down on folks who are less fortunate than us and using that as a measurement, you know, in, in whatever way that is. I think that's what we do. I think it's a it's like this almost unspoken or hidden sin in, in our culture is comparison. We're constantly comparison ourselves, you know, comparing ourselves with somebody else. And then we either, our self-esteem goes down and we think, well, I'm never going to be fill in the blank. Or it goes up and we get prideful and think, well, at least I'm better than that guy. Or, you know, I'm prettier than her. Or I'm smarter than him. Or I make more money. And God says, you know what? All that. And you're just going to be so disappointed. You're going to be so disappointed because that's not where the sweet spot is. He says, so don't chase after that. And 
after that, then he, he finishes Proverbs 30 with this, this list. It's actually five curious lists. And we're going to go back to that next week, and we're going to look at that list and see what else he's got. And then we're going to dive into this prayer. So for today, uh, I'm just going to scroll back through um, my notes here, and here, here are our takeaways. Okay? Explore God's Word. If you're not in the Word, and this is our reference point, and this is our authority, I'm really going to challenge you to begin uh, tonight or in the morning, think, you know what, uh, I read a lot, or I listen a lot, and maybe listen to podcasts, or, you know, you watch videos, and, you know, I think, wait a minute, okay, in, instead of just blowing time away on TikTok or Instagram or, you know, just, just chatting, I'm going to just take a moment, I'm just going to look and see, God, what do you have for me in your Word? So we're going to explore God's Word. And maybe that needs to be a beginning place for you. And as you do that, you're going to begin to seek God's purpose. God, I'm kind of doing my own thing. This is what I do in my life. What do you want to do? What is your purpose? I want to be be involved in something bigger than me. And there's so many movements right now. And there's so many things going on. I don't know what to attach myself to. God says, just let me speak into your heart, um, especially through my Word. And I'm going to show you my purpose and you're going to like it because it's going to fit. It's going to fit that sweet spot. Takeaway three was to appreciate God's undefinability. Don't feel like you've got to have it all together and be able to d- defend this and, you know, and think, God, you're, you're so much bigger than my imagination. And he is. And I think that's where the failure is in all of us trying to say, you know, and I had a guy say, can you prove to me there's God? I go, I don't have to. I don't have to, I don't have to feel that pressure. I don't have, to do, I don't have to, to do that. So just, you know, be able to rest in that and to appreciate that. Uh, and then to consider God's timeline for your life. God, it, you know, living in grace, he's going to bring you to that sweet spot. And I don't know what that looks like for you, and I don't know where your heart is. I don't know what it is you long for, what you dream about, what you pray about, and you think, God, if I just had this one thing, if this would happen, or this, then I'd be in the sweet spot. But how many times in your life have you done that, right? From about age six forward, you know, if I could, when I just get here, when I just get that bicycle, when I just get the motorcycle, when I just get the car and my driver's license, when I just graduate, when I can get a boyfriend, girlfriend, when I can get married, when I can have a baby, when I can, you know, I'm at that point where I'm thinking when I can retire, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, retire? What? Now, now, then what comes after that? Ah, you know, I think, don't, don't spend your life doing that. Don't pursue all that. Just chase God and consider he's got this timeline in place and he's going to do some beautiful things for you in the future. He's going to heal all of that in your past and he's going to give you this moment to enjoy and be blessed in and to anticipate. And the last thing is just to affirm his authority in your life. You don't have to be the boss of you. You don't have to walk around with that stress and that tension and that pressure to say, God, I'm just going to give you my life. Some of you have never done that. You've given your life to so many other things and to yourself and to other people and to the expectations of a lot of, a lot of stuff. Listen, just think, God, I just want to affirm you are my authority and I'm going to live under your lordship. I mean, you've tried so many other things, right? Give your life to him. 
Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for today, and I thank you for your grace uh, in our lives and how you've shown that over and over again in so many beautiful ways. And Father, I think I have, me, just talking for myself, I have missed the sweet spot several times in my life because I wasn't paying attention to you, because I wanted to create my own spot or whatever it was. Uh, Father, I, I feel like there are a lot of friends listening who maybe are in that same place. And so today, I ask that you take this little prayer of Agar, and as we adopt it, and we kind of lean into it and make it our own, uh, Father, that you would give us these takeaways and begin to move in and through that in our life for this week, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.